So uh, this weekend, as, uh, as we come to the, the weekend before Easter, I have some really sad news for you, and that is that this weekend marks the last weekend in our series through Ephesians. And all God's people said, oh, right, oh, thank you for that. That warms my heart. Thanks, everybody. So this weekend, yes, it marks the last weekend in the series through the book of Ephesians, but I got some good news for you. And that is that the book of Ephesians, it ends on a bang, brothers and sisters. We got quite a passage that we are taking a look at today. And so, uh, as I've done for the last few messages I've taught, I'd I'd love to read this passage to you ahead of time just to sort of set the scene for what we're going to be talking about today. And so we will have these words on the screen. This is Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing here, and this is what he says. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. I want to start out today by sort of stating the obvious. And actually, we're going to put a phrase on the screen. And it may seem weird that I'm going to put this phrase on the screen, but I have a reason for it. And what I want to tell you today is this. It's that the Christian life is tough, isn't it? The Christian life is difficult sometimes. In fact, can you humor me? Can I get an amen to that statement right there? Amen, right? The Christian life is tough. The Christian life is difficult. Now, I know that is a very obvious statement, right? Chris, some of you are thinking you had two weeks to study and that's the best you could come up with. That's the big insight that you have. I know. But even though it's obvious, I really want to point it out today. The Christian life is tough. The Christian life is difficult sometimes. This weekend, as I said, we are finishing out our series in the book of Ephesians. And I don't know what you guys have felt about this series uh, in, in your own life. Uh, personally, I have really, really enjoyed the, the time that I've gotten to study in the book of Ephesians. I mean, this is, this is such a rich book. There are so many rich passages in this particular book. And I've enjoyed the opportunity I've had week after week after week to, to study some of these incredible passages and, and to share them with you on a weekly basis. But at the same time, At the same time, you need to understand that I have also been, at various points, I have been frustrated over the past 12 weeks. And I've been frustrated for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons I've been frustrated 
is, you know, every single weekend, Matthew and I, we stand up here and, and we talk about the importance of becoming who we are, right? We talk about the importance of living the Christian life, which is what Ephesians in so many ways is all about. And, and we have preached passionately, I hope about the importance, you know, of, of loving our wife the, the way that Christ loved the church, of valuing others above ourselves, of, of focusing only on the truth of, of Jesus, of being a good parent, being a good son or daughter, being a good employee and employer and so on. And every week we have shared with you just some of the, the rich truths from this particular book. But what you don't see, and I'm speaking for myself personally, what you don't see is Sunday afternoon after this service, I walk off this stage, and I walk out of this building, and I get into my car like many of you do, and I drive home, and there are some weekends where by Sunday night, I have failed to do the very thing that I taught all of you to do that weekend. There are some weekends where by Sunday night, I have failed to put into practice the, the very passage of Scripture that I just dedicated the last week of my life to study. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating. I am sure that some of you can relate to that. Maybe like me, you've been inspired by some of the truths that we have shared from this book as we have sought to convey the meaning of the text. And maybe like me, you have resolved, yeah, you know what? This week, I want to do it different. I, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better parent. I want to love other people better. I want to you know, dwell only on the truth. And, and you've walked out of these doors here and you've said, okay, this week, I'm going to be different. This week, I'm going to do it different. Then, but maybe some of you, by Sunday night or for the super spiritual among us, by Monday morning, <laughs> you find yourself failing in the very thing that you set out to do. And you find yourself falling back into the same old struggles. And you find yourself, therefore, living out the truth of this statement right here. That the Christian life is tough. That the Christian life is difficult sometimes. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that it's so often in this life, we know what is right. And we know what is best. And we know what is best for us. We know what makes us feel the best. But, but yet we struggle so much in carrying it out. Why is it, for example, that many of us in this room, we know firsthand, you know what, forgiveness, it's better for us than unforgiveness. It's better for us than holding a grudge. And yet we struggle so much sometimes in forgiving certain individuals. Many of us in this room, we know that outbursts of anger regular, rarely, if ever, accomplish what we want it to accomplish. And yet we find ourselves sometimes, it's so hard to put a lid on our anger. Why do we struggle so much sometimes with avoiding gossip? Why do we struggle so much sometimes with avoiding lustful thoughts? Why do we struggle so much sometimes even with just praying on a regular basis, even with reading the Bible on a regular basis? Why is the Christian life so difficult sometimes? Well, admittedly, the Bible gives a number of answers to that question. One of the answers that the Bible gives is it's because of the influence of the world around us. You know, we live in a world surrounded by people who don't believe what we believe, they don't practice what we practice, and the Bible admits, yeah, it's, it's hard to be surrounded by people who don't think the way that we think and not be influenced by it. So sometimes the Christian life is difficult because of the influence of the world around us. Another reason that the Bible gives is sometimes the Christian life is difficult because of our own selves. 
because of what the Bible calls our flesh, this sinful nature that we are born into the world with that is enticed by sin and it wants to be satisfied and it wants to be gratified. And so sometimes the Christian life is difficult because of our own selves. Sometimes it's because of the world around us. Sometimes it's because of our own selves. But there is another reason that the Bible gives for why the Christian life is difficult sometimes. And that is because there are literally forces out to get us. That is because there is a spiritual battle that is going on all around us that we cannot see. But this spiritual battle is filled with evil spiritual beings who are out to get us, who are out to attack us, who are out to make life difficult, and who are out to try to get us to stop doing what God wants us to do, to stop doing even what deep down we want to do. One of the reasons why the Christian life is difficult sometimes is because of what is often referred to in the Christian faith as spiritual warfare. This great battle that is going on around us. And that is exactly what this passage that we're taking a look at in Ephesians chapter 6 is all about. Today we are taking a look at what I believe is the most important passage in the Bible when it comes to this topic of spiritual warfare. In fact, some of you may remember the second week in this series, I took you to a few verses in in this passage, verses 10 through 12. And I said at the time, and I still believe it's true, that the first three verses of this passage, it makes my top 10 list of the top 10 most important passages in the entire Bible. In fact, verse 12 in particular, I think, is one of the most significant, one of the most important verses in all of Scripture because of what it teaches us about what we're up against and what we step into in the Christian life. Look with me at verse 12 again. Paul writes this. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me read that again. For our struggle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. In other words, our struggle is not primarily a physical struggle. So if it's not a physical struggle, what is it? It's a spiritual struggle, he says. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And in that verse, there are two vital and urgent truths that Paul brings into focus for us. The first truth is exactly what I just said. It's that the Christian life is difficult sometimes. It's that the Christian life is tough. That's what Paul makes clear by the use of that word struggle at the beginning of that verse. He says, for our struggle. And if you remember back to the second week in the series, I shared that that word was taken from the wrestling arena. I had a professor in seminary who said that that word gives the idea of of someone trying to put a chokehold on someone else and the other person struggling against it, wrestling against it. It's a very vivid image. And what Paul is saying in that word is he saying that when we sign up for the Christian life, we are not signing up for a lifetime of sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, okay? But instead, when we sign up for the Christian life, we are literally enlisting in an army. We are signing up for a war. We are signing up for a battle. Now, out of curiosity, show of hands, how many of you were told that the day that you first put your faith in Jesus Christ? Not very many people, right? But don't you think that's somewhat of an important detail? Don't you think that maybe someone should have let us in on that? The Christian life is difficult. That's what Paul is saying here. 
And who is it that we are fighting against? Who is it that we are wrestling against? Well, that's the second truth that Paul brings into focus. And what Paul says here is very unsettling, especially if you've never heard this before. Because what Paul tells us is he tells us that there's not just one. There's not just two. There's not even just three or four, but there is a whole army. There is a whole network. There is a whole hierarchy of evil spiritual beings who are out to get us. That's what Paul says at the end of that verse when he talks about the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what most scholars believe that Paul is giving us there is he's actually giving us a hierarchy. He's giving us an org chart, if you will, of the evil spiritual dimension. You see, some of those terms there, rulers, authorities, powers, those were terms that actually referred to actual levels in the Roman government, positions in the Roman government at the time that Paul is writing. And Paul is applying to, that, to the spiritual dimension. And what Paul is saying by that is that there is almost like a government that the spiritual dimension, the evil spiritual dimension has arranged themselves into. And what Paul is talking about here is what is obviously talked about in other passages in Scripture as Satan and his fallen angels. This created group of beings, this created group of angels who one day before the first human ever stepped foot on this earth, that they rebelled against God. And as a result of that, they were thrown out of heaven. And they have since made it their mission to oppose everything that God stands for, including you and me including those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. And I know, I know that this probably sounds fanciful to some of you. It probably sounds like a fairy tale to some of you. Satan and his demons, Satan and his evil forces. Come on, Chris, we're all adults here, right? That's the stuff of folklore. That's the stuff of fairy tales. At the very best, isn't that just the thinking of a, of a primitive people who didn't have access to modern science the way we did, and so they, they just blamed everything on evil spiritual beings? Well, fanciful or not, it is what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible is universal and it's unequivocal on this particular point. There is a spiritual dimension out there that we cannot see, but it is no less real than the physical dimension that we can see. And in this spiritual dimension, yes, there are good things, as I have said before. God is in the spiritual dimension. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God's angels, they are all in the spiritual dimension. But in the spiritual dimension, there are evil things as well. They are sinister things as well. And what the Bible makes clear is we who follow after Jesus, we need to be aware of the reality of this. We need to be aware of the reality of the battle that is going on. Because these spiritual beings have one goal in mind for you and me, and that is our destruction. Not only do they want us to fall away from God, but they want us to actively oppose God. And they want us to fall into sin and to discouragement and to despair and to hopelessness. That is their goal for our lives. And I know this is serious. And if I seem to, to, in some of your opinions, if I seem to be overstressing the seriousness of this and overstressing the, the wickedness of this, you need to understand it's for a reason. It's actually personal. It's because recently I have felt as though those I love and care about quite a bit in this life have been on the receiving end of his attacks. You know, there's been something really interesting that is going on with, with a lot of people that my wife and I know and we love very dearly. And that is that it seems as though a lot of people right now are just going through a lot of difficulty. 
My wife and I have experienced it to a certain extent. The beginning of this year has been a little tough in some spots. And a lot of people we know have been experiencing this. And as I have talked to people about what they're going through, what, what stands out to me is there are a lot of people who just seem to be going through a lot in a number of different directions. There's a number of different things that are going on. There are people who are struggling with financial difficulties, and at the same time they're struggling with financial difficulties, there's health difficulties, and there's problems at work, and there's problems with discouragement, and problems with difficult people. And, and it just seems that people are being, uh, facing these difficulties just from, from a number of different angles. And as I have listened to these stories, and as I've tried to find sort of a unifying theme in all of them, it's been really hard not to feel as though it's exactly what we're talking about today. It has been spiritual warfare. It has been the attack of the enemy. Now, you need to understand something about me, okay? I am not someone who sees Satan hiding in every bush, and I am not someone who believes that every time your car breaks down or every time your internet stops working, it's because of some demon or gremlin or something like that, okay? But for full disclosure, I do need to say this. This weekend, I did print out my notes just in case my iPad failed on me. I didn't want to leave anything to chance. But I am not the person that sees spiritual warfare in everything. As I said at the beginning of this message, there's a lot of reasons why the Christian life is tough. There's a lot of reasons why things go wrong. But at the same time, one of the things that we know about the enemy is that he has a number of different ways that he can go after us. He has a number of different weapons in his arsenal to attack us. And Paul makes that clear in this passage. You see that when he talks about the schemes of Satan at the end of verse 11. And then at the end of verse 16, Paul talks about the flaming arrows of the evil one. And you notice both of those things are plural. And what that refers to is that refers to the multifaceted number of ways that Satan go, can go after us. And we see that in Scripture. Satan can do everything from cause sicknesses and illnesses, that's what he did in the life of Job, to entice and tempt people into sin and to say and do wrong things. That's what he did with Peter in the Gospels. That's what he did with Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. And it seems to me recently that there's just a lot of that stuff that is going on. And I have a theory on that. I think that my theory is that I think a lot of the people that Tony and I know who are going through difficult experiences, that they are experiencing what Paul refers to as a day of evil in verse 13. Look with me at verse 13 here. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And that phrase there, day of evil, that really stood out to me. I don't think I'd ever paid attention to that, to that before when, when reading this passage. And so I did some research on that phrase, day of evil. And what I realized, what, what most scholars agreed upon, is that what that refers to is the fact that there will be certain times in our life when Satan seems to ramp up his attacks. Think of the life of Job at the beginning of Job. That there are going to be certain times in our life where, where Satan really seems to ramp up his attacks on our lives. And I think that's what a lot of people I know are experiencing right now. And this is just the reality, men and women, of the Christian life. It's going to get difficult sometimes. And this is the bad news. But it's this bad news that now leads us to the good news. And some of you are thinking there are good news in this. Yes, absolutely there is good news in this. In fact, there is great news. We had to feel the full weight of the bad news in, under, in order to understand how good the good news is. And what is that good news? What is that great news? Well, if I could phrase it in the term of a sentence, I'd phrase it this way. 
It's that the Christian life is tough, yes, but guess what? But God makes us tougher. The Christian life is tough, yes, but God makes us tougher. In fact, can I get an amen to that statement right there? Amen, right? The Christian life is tough, but God makes us tougher. And that's what Paul makes clear in verse 10 of this passage. Look with me there. Verse 10, Paul says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Again, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And if you have the new Chris Ward translation of the Bible, you will see that verse 10 reads exactly what I just said. It's that the Christian life is tough, but God makes us tougher. And that is what is behind the whole image in this passage of the armor of God. What exactly is the armor of God? Those of you who know the book of Ephesians know that, that this is where we get that, that picture of the armor of God from. But I, I find a lot of Christians are confused on it. What exactly is the armor of God? Well, here's what the armor of God is, okay? The armor of God is a creative, and it's a visual way for, that Paul has come up with to get across the fact that God has given us everything we need to fight against the enemy. Let me say that again, okay? At its heart... What the armor of God in this passage is, is it's a creative and it's a visual way for Paul to get across the fact that yes, the Christian life is tough, but God makes us tougher. That God has given us everything that we need to fight against Satan in this life. So if you study the beginning of this passage, you're going to notice something really interesting. And that is that there is a word that is repeated several times at the beginning of this passage. And that is the word stand. It's the word stand. In fact, you see it four times in the first five verses of this passage. You see it once in verse 11, two times in verse 13, and once again in verse 14. And that word stand, just like the image of the armor here, that was taken from the military realm at this time. And when two armies were fighting against each other, realize in the first century it was mainly hand-to-hand combat. When two armies were fighting against each other, the soldiers in these armies, they had one overarching goal. And that was no matter what, in this battle, each individual soldier, they realized that they had to stay standing. They could not fall down. They had to stay standing in the battle. Because you see, if they fell down, they would be done for. They were so much more vulnerable. It was easier to get them with the sword. It was easier to trample on them. And so as a soldier was fighting in a battle in the first century, he basically had this one mantra running through his mind. And that is, no matter what, I need to stand. No matter what, I need to stand. No matter what, I need to stand. And what Paul realizes is that in the Christian faith, that's our goal against Satan. It is to stand. Satan wants to get us to fall. Satan wants us to fall into sin. He wants us to fall into temptation. He wants us to fall into despair and into discouragement. And Paul says that we have one primary goal against Satan, and that is that we need to stand. We cannot fall. But Paul realizes something. We can't stand on our own. We cannot stand on our own. Satan is more powerful than us men and women. And Satan is too cunning, and he's too crafty. And so we need God's help in order to stand. And what Paul knows is he knows that God has given us everything we need in order to fight against Satan. We are no match for Satan, but Satan is no match for God. And God has given us everything we need to fight against Satan. And so one of Satan's techniques, right, one of the ways that Satan goes after us is he tries to speak lies into our mind. So you know what God has given us? God has given us his truth to fight those lies. 
One of the ways that Satan goes after us is he loves to get us to doubt our salvation. He loves to get us to doubt that God loves us. So you know what God does? God has given us the assurance of our salvation to remind us that we are saved and to let us know that God does love us. Satan loves to get us to fall into sin. So you know what uh, God has done? God has given us his righteousness and enabled us to live righteously so we don't fall into sin and so on. And if Paul wanted to, if he wanted to, he could have just said that. He could have just said, listen, in your fight against Satan, understand that God has given you his truth, God has given you his righteousness, God has given you his salvation. But instead, Paul decides to continue this idea of this battle. And he realizes that in the same way a soldier in a physical battle is given armor to help him stand, so we, in this battle against the enemy, we have been given, if you will, spiritual armor to help us stand. And that's what the armor of God is. It's a creative and it's a visual way to show that we have been given everything we need to fight against Satan. And so the, the truth of God becomes, in this passage, the belt of truth. The, the righteousness of God becomes, in this passage, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. The, the salvation becomes the helmet of salvation, and so on. And it's a way to show that, yes, the Christian life is tough, but God makes us tougher because God has given us armor. We have been given armor by God. We have been given armor from God. And that is, I believe, by the way, the better translation of this particular phrase here. I think whenever you see armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, I think you actually should translate it in your mind as armor from God. For those of you who are grammar people, I think this is a genitive of source, and this is armor from God. This is the armor that God gives us, that God supplies to us so we can stand against the enemy. And starting in verse 14 of this passage, Paul begins to list out the various pieces of armor that God has given us. And here's what I want you to do, okay? This week at some point, I want you to go to this website. I want you to go to friends.church/discovery. And that's where you find our discovery questions for the weekend. I don't know if you know this, but for most sermons at this church, we actually write a series of, of questions, like a study guide, to help us with the passage that we're talking about. And if you go and you go to that website and you download the discovery questions for this weekend and you go to the leader's guide, what we've done is we've listed out every piece of armor and what it stands for. And so you can get a look at at what each piece of armor stands for, because I realize I would not have the time to go into that in this message. And in fact, I would encourage you this week, do the discovery questions for this passage. This is such a rich passage, and I'm really only able to to scratch the surface today. So I want you to do that, but here's what I want to do in the time that I have remaining. As I was studying this armor, and as I was studying this passage, there were two really important overarching observations that I made about what Paul says here that I want to share with you. And so I want to share with you these two major observations I made about this armor here. And I've put it all under the heading of our spiritual battle plan. Our spiritual battle plan. If we want to fight against the enemy, at the very least, we need to do these two things. So you can write these down if you want. The first thing is this, is that we need to take the armor. We need to take the armor that God gives us. And what I mean by that, brothers and sisters, is that we cannot be passive in our fight against the enemy. We have to be active. We have to be aware of the fact that there is a battle, and we have to choose to use what it is that God has given us. One of the things that has made the past few months difficult, for my wife and I particularly, is that as we have gone through some of the discouragement we have felt over the past couple of months, 
honestly, we forgot the fact that there was a battle going on. We forgot about this spiritual battle. And as we were facing some of the discouragement we were facing, we blamed it on everything from, you know, the weather. It's been rainy and cold recently. We blamed it on the time change. We blamed it on lack of sleep and so on. And it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago when my wife and I were talking and she said this. She said, you know, it just feels oppressive right now. And when she said that word oppressive, something started to click for me. And I realized, oh, this isn't just the weather. It isn't just lack of sleep. I mean, it is lack of sleep, but it isn't just lack of sleep. There's something else that is going on here. This is the enemy. This is an attack. And what I want to let you know is that is one of Satan's favorite schemes. He feeds on our ignorance. This is what Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians when he says we cannot be ignorant of the schemes of Satan. Satan loves the fact that we forget so often that there is this battle going on because when we forget about this battle, it is so much easier for Satan to catch us off guard. You know, when, when you log onto Facebook in the morning, if you forget that there's a battle going on, if you forget that there is an enemy that is trying to take you down, then it's so easy for Satan just to, just to slip a suggestive picture in your news, uh, Facebook newsfeed. And all of a sudden your mind goes down that, that road of lust. If when you're filling out your taxes this week, if you forget that there is a battle that is going on, it's so easy for Satan to catch you off guard and to whisper that thought into your ear. You know, if you fudge this one number right here, you can save hundreds of dollars and nobody is ever going to find out. And when we forget about the fact that there is a battle that is going on, it is so much easier for Satan to surround us with circumstances that make sin and discouragement and despair so much easier in our life. And that's why in this passage, there are these very active commands that Paul gives us in regards to this armor. Two times in this passage, he tells us that we need to put on the armor. You see that once in verse 11 and again in verse 13. And then two times in this passage in relation to various pieces in this armor, Paul tells us that we need to take the armor. We need to take up the armor. You see that with the shield of faith in verse 16 and the helmet of salvation in verse 17. And these are commands. These are active words. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, everything that we need to fight Satan is at our disposal, but we need to realize that. And we need to choose to use those things. When my wife and I realized that there's a battle going on, that gave us in that one moment alone 80% of what we needed. Because all of a sudden we realized, oh yeah, Satan's been speaking lies to us. So what do we need? We need the belt of truth. Satan's been trying to get us to question that God loves us or that God is good. And so what do we need? We need the helmet of salvation. We need to remind ourselves of the fact that God chose us, that God loves us, that God has a plan for us. I mean, can you imagine, I know some of you are the parents of kids in the military. Can you imagine the United States military sending your children to Afghanistan without first sending them to basic training, without teaching them how to use a weapon, without even telling them that there is an enemy that is out to get them? But I think that is so often how many of us live the Christian life. We leave our door every morning, we leave our house every morning, and we completely forget that there's a war going on. I think if we really live out this passage right here, I think Paul would have it be that one of the first thoughts in the morning when we wake up, before our foot even hits the floor, is I'm going to battle today. 
I'm going to war today. And my goal is to stand. So that's the first thing. We need to take the armor. Second thing is this. We need to pray the armor. We need to pray the armor. I believe, men and women, the way that we most engage this armor and put it on us is through prayer. Look with me at verse 18. As Paul draws this great passage on spiritual warfare to a close, he says this. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And what Paul is talking about here is he is talking about the importance of spirit-led, spirit-guided prayer in our fight against the enemy. The importance of spirit-led, spirit-guided prayer in our fight against the enemy. That's what that phrase, pray in the spirit, means. Just so you know, I know some of you have been taught this before, that has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. Okay, and the reason I know that is in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes it clear that, that the gift of tongues was only given to a certain, a certain individuals. Not everybody had it. Yet Paul tells everybody here to pray in the spirit. So this has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. What Paul is talking about here is he's talking about those times when we come before God and there's so much going on, we don't even know what to pray. And we say, God, would, would you tell me how to pray in this moment? And all of a sudden, all these things start coming to our mind. And that's spirit-led, spirit-guided prayer. And what Paul is really saying in this passage is this. He's saying that the best way to stand against Satan is to get on our knees in prayer. The best way to stand against Satan is to get on our knees in prayer. I've said it before. We are never more powerful in this world than when we are on our knees in prayer. And you know how I know that? Here's how I know that. Why is it that something that is so good for us and makes us feel so good and is honestly so easy to do, why do we struggle so much sometimes in doing it? I think because Satan knows the power of prayer. And so he wants us to stop us from doing it. And along those lines, I want to say this, and some of you may disagree with me on that, and that's okay. But I really don't believe, men and women, there is ever any reason why we need to address, why we need to talk to the enemy. I know some of you, you like to, you know, rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus, and I understand there's a verse where Jesus did that. I just don't believe that's necessary. You know, I look at this passage, which is what I said is the most significant passage in the Bible in spiritual warfare, and Paul doesn't mention that at once. I think the best way to defeat the enemy is not by talking to the enemy. I think the best way to defeat the enemy is by talking to God, because he's the one who has the power. He's the one who is able to defeat the enemy. And so I don't think there is any reason ever, ever, ever to do anything like that. We just focus on God. In fact, I want you to try an experiment this week, okay? I want you to try an experiment. One of the things that, as I said, Satan loves to do is he likes to speak lies to us. So here's what I want you to do. Every time a lie enters into your mind this week, what I want you to do immediately is I want you to stop and I want you to pray and I want you to thank God that that lie is not true. So for example... If the enemy tries to convince you that God doesn't love you, I want you to immediately stop in that moment and I want you to go, God, thank you that I know that you love me. Thank you that I know that there is nothing that can separate me from your love. 
If the enemy tries to, to get you to, to, to believe that there is a sin that you committed that you can't be forgiven for, immediately I want you to stop and I want you to go, thank you, God, that the blood of Jesus covers any sin I have ever committed, past, present, and future. And I want you to continue to do that. And if you continue to do that, let me ask you this question. If every time the enemy goes after you, he knows that immediately you're going to go to God in prayer, do you think he likes that? No, right? Because it defeats his purpose. He wants to separate you from God. He doesn't want you to go to God. And so do you think that there may be a chance that if every time he attacks you, you go to God in prayer, that finally he's going to get to this place where he's so frustrated that he's just going to leave you alone? It's worth a shot, right? I mean, you can't lose anything by that, can you? So I want you to practice that this week. I love what John Piper says about this passage in regards to prayer. He says this, He says, life is war. He says, that's not all it is, but it is always that. And until we feel the force of this, we will not pray as we ought. We will not even know what prayer is. Prayer is communication with headquarters by which the weapons of warfare are deployed according to the will of God. Prayer is the walkie-talkie of the church on the battlefield of the world in the service of the word. It is not a domestic intercom to increase the temporal comforts of the saints. It is only for those on active duty. Isn't that a great quote? That's great, isn't it? Thank you for that smattering of applause, by the way. I've, I've determined, we gotta, we gotta figure out the applause situation here at this church. I think we're gonna get, we gotta coordinate. I think we're gonna get like an applause sign, you know, and I'm gonna press it at certain times and then you all can just go along. Let's practice right now. Yes, that's good, that's good, there you go. We need to pray the armor, men and women, and we need to take the armor. At the very least, that's our battle plan against Satan. You know, many of you know that my son Lucas uh, is in pre-kindergarten this year. He starts kindergarten next year. And he's been going to, to Little Friends Christian Preschool here. And for the past two years, uh, as he has been at this preschool, as part of his curriculum, every, every uh, week they go to music class with Mrs. Sorley. I know some of you had Mrs. Sorley. And I, I estimate that in the past two years, he has learned, you know, dozens of songs in Mrs. Sorley's class. But even though he has learned dozens of songs, th- there's only one that he keeps on singing. And he sings this song over and over and over again. But you know what? I don't mind it because I love this song. It's a great song. It's called Our God is a Great Big God. And it simply goes like this. It says, Our God is a Great Big God. Our God is a Great Big God. Our God is a Great Big God. And he holds us in his hands. And I love that because that's exactly what what Paul is saying in this passage. We don't have to fear Satan, men and women. We have to be aware of him. But we don't have to fear him because our God is so much bigger and our God has got this. And that's why as we close here today, here's what we're going to do. You know, in verse 18, not only does it say that we personally need to pray in this battle against the enemy, but it says that we need to pray for one another. It says we need to pray for all God's people. And I really think that one of the greatest privileges that we have as a church is the opportunity to come around those who are hurting and struggling and to pray for them. And so that's what we're going to do right now. So would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads with me and would you close your eyes? And I would really ask you during this time uh, to to close your eyes. Some of you, I I ask you to do that and you keep your eyes open and look at me me and that creeps me out. So please don't do that right now. (laughs) But for the sake of, of the privacy, and you'll, you'll, that will make sense in a minute, I, I'd ask you to close your eyes right now. 
And as I said, I, I know a lot of people that Tanya and I know are going through some tough stuff, and I have to imagine that there are some people here going through some tough stuff. And we want to pray for you. And, and maybe, yes, it, it could be related to spiritual warfare. Maybe some of you, as you've listened to this message, you've realized, yeah, I, I think I have been going through a battle recently. Or, or maybe you, you don't know why you're going through it, but, but things have just gotten difficult. Maybe there's struggle with a relationship, struggle at work, struggle with another person, struggle in your finances, struggle in health. And the great thing about prayer is we don't have to know what's causing these things because God knows. And all we have to do is go to Him. And so if you're sitting here right now and, and you're knowing, hey, I am going through a tough thing right now. And I would love some prayer. Could you do me a favor? Everybody's eyes are closed, so they won't, they won't see it. Would you do me a favor? Would you just stand right now, right where you are? Anybody else? Okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, everybody else, keep your eyes closed, please. Um, for those of you who are standing, I, I'm going to pray over you, but I, I really feel like there's something when, when we can be surrounded by other brothers and sisters in Christ who can just lay a hand on our shoulder or, hand, or arm or something like that. And, and so I w I'm going to invite in just a moment people to do that, but I know that some of you may not be comfortable with that. And so for whatever reason you're not comfortable with that or you don't want people to know what's going on or anything like that, or that there is something going on, I should say, just go ahead and sit down right now. I've seen that you stood, and so I will still pray over you. But everybody else who's standing, I'm going to assume you're okay right now with someone just putting a hand on your shoulder or something like that. So the rest of us, if you could open your eyes, and if there is someone around you right now who is standing, if you could please just walk over to them and very respectfully and very gently just put a hand on their shoulder, put a hand on their arm or something like that. And if you could really make sure that everybody, everybody who is standing has at least one or two people surrounding them, I'd, I'd really, really appreciate that. So everybody has someone who is supporting them in this moment. And if we could all bow our heads right now, uh, because we're going we're gonna to pray. I'm going to pray. And so, Father God, we come before you here uh, this morning, Father. And I thank you, God, for those who are standing. I thank you for those who, who have stood, Lord. And, uh, God, the first thing that comes to my mind to, to pray is just, uh, just the word Jesus, Father. Uh, just, just Jesus, God. Father, we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, Lord, uh, that he defeated those powers who are up against us. And although they still reign on this earth and still uh, attack us, God, that ultimately um, we know that their end is sure. And Father, I pray that the, the truth of that and the knowledge of that would just sink deep into uh, the lives of, of those who have stood, those who are standing. God, I pray that you would, through the Spirit of Christ within them, God, that right now in this moment, Father, that you would meet them. God, your, your word tells us that no matter what we are going through, there is a peace that transcends all understanding that you can give us, God. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that, that you would impart that peace that transcends all understanding and, and that even in the midst of some of the pain and sorrow and difficulty, God, that you would, you would give a sense of joy. And, and for those who may be experiencing a, a loss of hope right now, that you would give, Father, hope to them hope of your salvation, hope of your love, hope of what awaits us, God, when we know we pass from this life to the next life, Father. 
God, if, if for any of these people it is spiritual warfare, Lord, I, I pray that within the hearts and the minds of the people who have stood, God, I pray that you would let them know exactly what piece of the armor they need the most in this time, Father, and you would show them how to deploy it in this situation, and you would show them, God, how to, how to, to, to defeat every single flaming arrow of the evil one that he throws at them, God. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for an alleviation of the difficult circumstances. God, I pray that your hand would move mightily in their circumstances and you would begin to bring about a change and, and God, that there would be just a sense of movement in these particular areas in a positive direction. And Father, as, as those who are standing, as they feel the hands of, of those on their shoulders, Lord, would it be both just a, a picture of the fact that you are embracing them, Father, and would it also be a picture of the fact that they are not alone in this and there is a church who wants to come alongside them and help them and pray for them and support them in this time. And so would you let them know that, God, when you call us to this battle, you do not call us alone, but you surround us with other soldiers who fight right along with us. And God, we fight through prayer. And so God, I pray for those who are, who are putting their hands on the hands of those who are God, I pray that you would bring them to mind this week and you would allow them to continue to pray on the behalf of their brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, to keep them strong and to help them stand in the midst of all of this. And Father, we know that ultimately, we know that everything works out for your glory, God, and so that is what we pray for. And that even in the midst of these difficult circumstances, that you would use it to lift up the name of Jesus and you would use it to glorify you. And so, Father, we thank you that you are near us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that ultimately you have won the battle and you promise that we can win as well. We can be victorious, God. And I pray that all of us would walk out of this place today not with our uh, heads held low, but with our heads held high because we know the victory that you have achieved through us through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, Lord. So we thank you for your presence, Father. We thank you for your Holy Spirit within us to confirm what, what is your truth, Father. And we pray that each and every day we would live in light of, of the hope and the calling that you have placed on us. Father, we love you so much. We thank you so much. And we pray all of this in the very powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.